And I'll tell you what, there's a, there's a few things here that I think are going to be very helpful for us. Really, the background to this chapter is Nehemiah trying to determine who would live in Jerusalem. Who is going to live in Jerusalem? You know, once the city of Jerusalem was captured under the rule of David, Jerusalem became the eternal capital of Israel. And that's very important for us to remember you know, one of the things I'm hoping that will come to pass, but it's going to stir things up, is Trump said that if he becomes president, he will make Jerusalem the capital of Israel. They will move not their embassy to Jerusalem, not Tel Aviv. And, and I think that's kind of cool because Jerusalem is the eternal capital of Israel. And so once David captured it, it was their capital. But you guys know the story, close to 400 years after David captured and claimed Jerusalem, it was then devastated by the Babylonians, absolutely devastated in 586 BC after the third siege. And so you guys know now at this point, it's about 140 years later, the temple and walls have been rebuilt. But that doesn't mean the houses have been rebuilt. And so the big question is, well, who's going to live in Jerusalem? You know, it's interesting. If you go back to uh, Nehemiah chapter 7, you guys may remember this passage in chapter 7 in, in verse 4. You remember what it says right here? It says, now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt and so we see this in the get-go that not too many people lived in jerusalem and so nehemiah you know the wall is rebuilt the temple had been rebuilt ezra's uh, doing his best to restore the people to worship the living god but the problem is there's not enough people living in the capital city and so now nehemiah does what he has to do next uh, the next step is to bring people in and build the population up in Jerusalem. You guys probably know this is important for any country to make sure they take care of their big cities, especially their capital, right? John F. Kennedy said, we will neglect our cities to our peril. For neglecting them, we neglect the nation. And so you gotta make sure that the cities are populated, that they're right, they're fortified, there's a defense there and especially your capital. Warren Wiersbe said Nehemiah knew that the city could never be strong as long as Jerusalem was weak. But Jerusalem could not be strong unless the people were willing to sacrificially live there. You know, they needed people in Jerusalem. And, and you know, guys, I'm sure you can deduce why that would be important because if anyone was going to attack them, I mean, yeah, the walls are going to help, but they need people to fight, right? There needs to be people to fight for God. Not only that, you know, when the witness would go out to the world that Jerusalem is rebuilt, you know, what type of witness would it be if there was no one really there? I mean, even today, and you guys know this, Israel became a nation in 1948, and how the people flocked from all around the world to come back to Israel. That is a witness. That is a testimony that God's word is true. And all the prophecies, when you read Jeremiah, you read Isaiah, you read Ezekiel, you read the Old Testament prophets, they said that the people would come back to the land, but if there's no people there, then there's no witness. So they need people there for war, they need people there for witness, and they need people there to work. 
right, to work. And it, we saw it here, especially in the temple, right? And so, uh, you know, um, when you look at the reasons why, you see it makes a lot of sense uh, for so many reasons. But here's the thing. How are you going to get people to live somewhere where they didn't really think that they were going to live? I mean, that's a huge thing, right? You know, look again, if you would, at verse 1. Now, the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. You know, it's kind of interesting. The previous chapter, we read about the people essentially tithing from their paycheck and their produce, but here the people tithe the people. You know, it's kind of funny. 10% of the people were to live in Jerusalem. Now, if you were to go through this uh, uh, list right here, you would see the leaders and the people they represented, you know, over 3,000 people are represented, every one of them remembered by God and finding a place in the Bible. We saw in verses 4 through 8, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. We saw in verses 10 through 14, the priests. In 15 through 18, the Levites, and then the gatekeepers in verse 14. And so, as I mentioned to you, in listing these names, Nehemiah was giving evidence of, you know, his sincere, Nehemiah, his sincere appreciation for every single individual who assisted in the work this way. And it also reminds us that our Father sees and records what his children do as they serve him. You know, you guys that you're involved in ministry, maybe you don't get a pat on the back, but I want you guys to know that even if others don't recognize what you're doing, you can be sure that God knows all about it and he will reward you accordingly. I mean, you guys know that God knows your name, right? You guys know, even though we got two angels up here, he doesn't get confused with that, you know? And, and he will reward us accordingly, right? Uh, a while back, there was a popular song by Tommy Walker that sang about that truth. It was entitled, He, he, he Knows My Name. You know, and, and it takes me back to John 10 and verse 2 and 3. It says, Jesus said, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I mean, to me, it's just so amazing. I mean, the other day I went somewhere, and someone called me by the wrong name. You know, hey, Danny, how you doing? And I'm like, should I say something, you know? And oh, he should know my name by now. But, and then, you know what? You just shine it, and it's okay. God knows my name. You know, and he knows the things that we're doing in detail. And he would even chronicle them here in, in, in order. It's just so amazing to me. You know, earlier I mentioned to you that there were over 3,000 names listed, but God wouldn't say it that way. He didn't put it that way. He actually named and numbered. And again, not all the names were represented here. There's actually 3,043 people that are represented by these leaders' names. Not 3,000. Not 3,042. He knows every single one of them. That's the God that we serve. We, I've told you guys many times, he knows all the stars by name, and not one of them is missing. And so, you know, here they're revealed, and I just pray you guys would know that scriptural truth that one day 
we will be rewarded for our work and sacrificial service to our Savior as well. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And so, just in case you're like, man, how, what about these names right here? I want to encourage you guys to know that they're there to teach us that lesson. Do you ever think about that day? Do you ever, and you should, do you ever think about the day that you and I will stand before Jesus Christ? I mean, the one who died for us, the one who loved us, and he spilt his blood there on Calvary, and he washed us clean, and he made us as white as snow, and now when he looks at us, he sees no sin. He's the one that we serve, not man. And as we serve him sacrificially and faithfully, you guys got to know that he acknowledges that. Not that we do it for the reward, to be honest with you. That's not why I do it. But I do think about that day. And I pray that on that day that we will bring God glory because we served him. We were saved to serve. We were saved to serve. And so here we see they, they serve in that they, they're going to live in Jerusalem. It's interesting. You know, three things that caught my heart from this chapter Number one, if I can just say it this way, they gave their lives. They gave their lives. I mean, if you really think about it, for, for the cause of their creator, these people, think about it, they were called to live in Jerusalem, right? And this truly reveals in a very real and radical way that God owned their lives, you know, to, to live in Jerusalem, we're going to see there's a lot of factors that would make it uncomfortable, dangerous, tough. It would require money and labor to rebuild the houses. We saw that in Nehemiah 7.4, that the houses were not rebuilt. And so, you know, they're, hey, who wants to live in Jerusalem? You know, you know pulling lots. And, you know, when you think about that, I mean, that's a sacrifice to actually go and live somewhere other than your normal home. And when God is the one who determines where you live, not the weather, not the affordable housing, not the cozy conveniences and creature comforts, but rather the calling upon your life, when God determines where you live, that is intertwined with how you live, right then, that's a life lived for God. And that's what we see here. You know, in case you guys didn't know, um, that's the cost of being a Christian. You know, you might be here today and you're like, well, you know what, I give God my Sundays and I'll even give him my Thursday nights. And that's cool. And I give God, you know, 7% or 10% and you know, whatever it is, you know, I'm, 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 you know, well-behaved when I go to church. You know, when I'm at home, it's a different story, but it's okay, man. I gave God, you know, a few hours, and, 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 and God says, no, I, you, we must give God our life, our life. If you have not given God your life, then you're not obeying the calling upon us, the core calling 
as Christians. He owns every thought, every word, every action, every decision, everything that we do, all that we are, every day, every minute, every moment. He owns everything. He is the one that tells us where to live, how to live. It's a calling on our life. That's Christianity. That's what it means to follow God. You know, Jesus said in Luke 9, 23 and 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, then they'll find it, right? I mean, Hudson Taylor, he called it the exchange life. You give God your life and he gives you his life. And for us as Christians, I'm learning it more and more. I mean, you know, you have a hard time praying. Why? Why do you have a hard time praying? God says, I want you to pray. I want you to get on your knees. I want you to spend 20 minutes, half an hour. Can't do it. Why can't you do it? Because you haven't given God your life. I mean, he wants you to be in the word. He wants you to serve, whatever it is. He wants you to live here or there. And some people, I've seen it. They walk away from the calling on their life because they want a big house over there. Is that how it works? We have to have a relationship with God in which, you know, I understand that I'm saved to serve. I'm saved to serve Him. And I'm not saying you've got to necessarily be plugged into a church ministry, although that, that might be what God's calling you to do, but there must be ministry there must be us understanding that we've been given gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're to discover them, develop them, and deploy them. We don't just live life. We find out what God wants us to do, and then we do that. And that's what we see here. That's exactly what they're doing. We, you guys, we have to give God our life, our life. You know, that's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Or do you not know? You should know this, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You can't just say what you, whatever you want to say because you're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are where God's, you know, in, in this context, is interesting. You know, Paul says something very important. You know, 1 Corinthians 6, he's saying, flee sexual sin because your life is not your own. And then in the book of Acts, it's interesting um, how Paul practiced what he preached in Acts 20, 22 through 24. He said, and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life, my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You know, I never remember the, the last sermon I gave at the old church I was at before God had called me to Almani, was this verse. I am bound in the Spirit. It's not my life. This is what He wants from me, and I have to follow His marching orders. 
You know, we, we learn in, in these guys right here a couple of ways they, they gave their lives, and I think their lessons as well. I'm sure you noticed as we read right there that some people were asked to move. You know, they, they selected lots and they said, hey, God, you know, is asking you to move, while others volunteered for the task, right? And so that's kind of how it works in ministry, to be honest with you. That's kind of how it works when you serve as the saints, um, some are drafted in, kind of, you know? They're drafted, uh, being asked to do something or, you know, uh, drafted into the work of God. I will tell you this, that's not all bad. You know, if one day Henry or someone came up to me and said, hey, or you, hey, would you consider doing this in ministry? And then, you know, you prayed about it or whatever, and you said, yeah, you know what, I think I'll do that. That's not all bad. It really isn't, man. Uh, the thing is, is that you, you, when God asks you to do something, however, you got you to do it. You have to rise to the call. You know, it's not bad to be drafted or asked as long as you're, you obey the voice of God. Because bottom line is, not everyone does. You know, I, I trip out. I trip out, to be honest with you. Not to make you guys feel bad, okay? Because I, I love you guys. And I'm hoping to get gifts one day from you. <laughs> in and out certificates and stuff like that. So, um, but I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't have the determination. I don't have 100% control on what the announcements are and what goes in the bulletin. I try to stay away from that because I'm weird. But, you know, they've been doing the children's ministry announcement for, I think, 17 years now. And uh, I, I think that people should be lining up to serve the children. That's my opinion. If I could, that's where I would be. I love the children. They're beautiful. Why is it that he always has to make that announcement? I don't know. I mean, I have a feeling that God might be stirring someone up to, to get involved. And if you're drafted, that's okay. We, you know, as long as you follow that call of God. You know, not everybody does, though. You know, God is the thing about God is he's a perfect gentleman. He will not force you. He won't. And if you're looking for some lightning in the sky type of sign, he's not going to do that either. You know, some people, however, they dodge the draft. Have you guys noticed that? They, they say, and I, you guys know about this, there are somewhere between 30,000 to 50,000 men who dodged the draft during the Vietnam War. They did not fulfill the commitment they were called to as American citizens. Most of them fled to Canada, right? And, you know, I, and I understand the Vietnam War is not necessarily the perfect analogy. I, I, I'm sure, you know, there's different opinions on human war in this room. But you got to know this, when it comes to the spiritual realm, we are in a war. And it is a good fight that we're in. It's a godly war for the glory of God and the good of his people. And so we're called to battle as brothers and sisters whether we like it or not, we're in this war, right? The Bible says we're soldiers in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So here's the question for you. Will you fight or will you flee? Another question. How about volunteering? <laughs> you know, it's cool, and there's different ways that things happen. Like, I'll use this children's ministry one as an example, you know? You know, you hear it, and let's just say one day Teacher Jesse or Rich, they come up to you, hey, would you consider being a helper in the children's ministry? And then you pray about it, you say yes, and you got drafted in, okay? 
All right? There's another way. You hear the announcement, um, and then you volunteer. You know what? I heard the announcement. I'm going to go looking for those guys, man, because I heard the Bible, it says somewhere in there that if you give just a little cup of water in Jesus' name to these kids, that God loves that. You know, so maybe that's one way you're a volunteer. I tell you what, though, the, the, probably the, the most awesome way that I've seen people volunteer is simply sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And the Lord just shows them something. It's so cool. And, you know, the Lord laid it on my heart. Next thing you know, it could be something like even a financial gift to someone. You know, that's what I'm talking about. That's the volunteering, I think, that we need to have as, as Christians. And notice again those two words found together there in verse 2. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. So they're trying to get people to dwell in Jerusalem. Some people got, you know, chosen by lot, drafted in. Others just said, hey, there's a need. I'll go. Isn't that what the Lord asked that question in Isaiah chapter 6? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me, right? I mean, this willingly offered is a word combination found four other times in the Bible. Three of those times it's in reference to material and financial offerings to the work of God. They willingly offered. Uh, for example, David gave to the work of the temple in 1 Chronicles 29 17, and the people gave to the work of the new temple in Ezra 1, 6 and 3, 5. The other time it's found in the Bible is when God was putting together an amazing group of men under the leadership of a godly king by the name of Jehoshaphat. And there was one guy who ends up kind of being the, the picture of a volunteer. We read about him in 2 Chronicles 17. And it says this guy's name was Amasiah, the son of Zikri, who willingly offered himself to the Lord. And I, when I read that right there, I think, Lord, let that be me. You know, life is fun, and I, and I, and I really, I get blessed in, in so many ways from the things that I receive in this world that I live in. But Lord, I am passionate about that. I just want to give you my life. I want my life to be spent for you, not me. I don't want to dilly-dally around the house. I don't want to waste time because if I waste too much time, I might end up wasting my life. I want to be consumed in the calling that you have for me. And I want to take care of my family. And I want to do whatever it is, Lord, that you want me to do because I want to give you my life. You know, I mean, that's what we see in the scriptures. Have you done that? Have you done that? Are you living for the Lord or yourself? You know, I'm sure you guys have heard that story of the Native American Indian who was, in, he was deeply touched by the Holy Spirit one church service. And so after the study, they were passing around the offering bucket and when it came to him, he put it on the ground and he stepped into the bucket. You guys remember that? And he said, me have no money to give, so me give me. You guys remember that story? That's where we need to be, you guys. 
I mean, I pray that we would see how these guys moving out of their comfort zones, going to a place where they would have to start from scratch, leaving their families, so many things. We would see that as God determining where they would live as a message and saying that they gave their life to God. Second thing I see in looking at this whole chapter right here is just how they were, they were organized, which is not my gift, to be honest with you, man. How many of you guys are organized people? Just out of curiosity. I need to get to know you, <laughs> or I need your help, okay? But I'm learning little by little to go against the grain of who I am and to have people in my life that can help me with this. Is thank God for my wife, man. <laughs> Sometimes people will say, hey, I want to meet with you. And I'll be like, oh, okay. And I'll schedule an appointment with them. And next thing you know, I got three people in the same time. And so I finally learned to say, you know what? Talk to Shelly. Right? Because I don't know. I don't have that gift. But I'm learning to take advantage of those who do. Anyways, this city right here, they're organized here. I mean, they are organized if this capital city was to survive, it was vital, it was critical that they would have structure and infrastructure. There needs to be organization within the nation. And, then, and as you read through this, and I know we read a lot of names. So, you know, you go through the names, but here's the thing. When you go through a lot of the names, circle the ones that aren't names, and you're going to get a message out of that. And what we see uh, repeatedly is the word head. For example, in verse 3, these are the heads of the provinces. Uh, we see it again in verse 13. It says, and his brethren, heads of their father's houses. In this chapter, we have words like overseer and oversight. In verse 9, notice, Joel the son of Zikri was their overseer, right? We see it also in verse 14, in verse 16, in verse 22, the oversight. So you have words like, you know, guys that are heads and, and guys that are overseers. In verse 11, we have Ahitab. Notice there, Ahitab was the leader of the house of God. So you have people that are called the heads and overseers and, and leaders. In, in verse 17, we saw that guy. Uh, it says the leader who began the thanksgiving with, with prayer. In, in verse 22, notice what it says about these, this guy right here, of the sons of Asaph, the singers, notice, in charge, in charge. There's a clear structure here. There's leadership here. So the Holy Spirit uses all these words like head, overseer, leader, in charge in order to provide organization and guidance in the city, right? And for us, I think it's important to know that the success and failure the life and death of every organization and even every living organism is all dependent on godly leadership. You know, as a head, will you think things through? Husbands, all husbands here, you are the head of your family. Have you risen to that responsibility? Do you think things through? Do you submit to the one who is the head of the church, Jesus? You know, as an overseer, it's interesting, the Greek word episkopos, it means oversight, and we get the word scope from that Greek word. It's talking about really seeing. You know, some guys, some dads, some people, pastors, overseers of ministry, they don't have a clue what's going on. They don't see. 
And we have a beautiful picture of how it's supposed to work. When Moses was a leader in the, in the Old Testament, they're, they're building the tabernacle, it said he would check everything to see it and make sure they were doing what they were supposed to do. There's a responsibility there when you're ahead, when you're an overseer, you're supposed to see some guys don't know what's going on with their kids. They don't have that oversight. They don't see, right? As a leader, it might sound funny, you know, but do you lead? Do you lead by example? You know, a lot of wives, they're hurting and they're lost because their husband, who is supposed to be the head of the house, who is supposed to be the Lord's leader, is not leading spiritually. And I'm not talking about being a, a shoving leader. Hey, woman, do what I say. That doesn't work. I tried that. It doesn't work. <laughs> As a leader, here's the most difficult thing of all, man, because you guys know you can take a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. You can't make anybody do anything. I've learned that. As a leader, you do the best that you can to make people want to follow your lead. That's art. That's got to be the Lord. But as leaders, are, are, we, are we leading you know, I always tell people that a good leader is a good follower of Jesus. And there's an awesome passage in the book of Judges, chapter 5, verse 2, when leaders lead in Israel, when leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. And that's what happened. After they got this great victory, Deborah sang a song, and she was trying to teach them what ends up happening when the leaders lead, the people will follow and they will experience victory. You know, another element of structure that I thought that was interesting in the text right here that we see from time to time is found first in verse 9. If you would look at verse 9, it says, uh, Joel the son of Zikri was their overseer and Judah the son of Senua was second over the city so he was second so you got leader and now you got someone who's second we see it again something similar notice in verse 17 it says mataniah the son of micah the son of zabdi the son of asaph the leader who began his thanksgiving with prayer back bukiah the second among his brethren and it's interesting because this is kind of intensified in verse 24 of this same chapter, it says, Pethahiah, the son of Meshezabel, of the children of Zariah, the son of Judah, was the king's deputy in all matters concerning the people. Now, the king's deputy, literally in the Hebrew language, it says that he was the right-hand man. And what we find is so important, you know, that you know, we have to have, you know, people who are in charge but we also have to have others and it's important it's very important to have someone who might be second so to speak you know i mean you probably already know this that being a leader being first so to speak is very difficult but i'm going to tell you this being second is even more difficult how many wives can say amen to that you're like Dude, it's hard. 
I know, I was an assistant pastor for seven years. It's like being a wife. It is. And, uh, and the enemy tries to come in. Oh, you should be first. Really? It's crazy the way that it works, but how awesome it is when a leader has men who hold up his hands like Aaron and her. Like, uh, for those of you guys who remember, Romaine, even today, Pastor Dale for, you know, Pastor Raw. It's cool when you see this in the scripture, someone like Joshua or Elisha. You know, being second is, 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 is tough. You know, Leonard Bernstein, the celebrated orchestra conductor, was asked, what is the hardest instrument to play? He replied without hesitation, second fiddle. I can always get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, now that's a problem. And yet, if no one plays second, we have no harmony. You know, and I think that that's not just second. I think it's just the whole element of having a heart of submission. That's very important. And if God raises you up, let him raise you up, but don't raise yourself up. You know, we're blessed with Henry. We're blessed with Rich. We're blessed with these pastors that we have as a church. You know, but other churches, they struggle with that. And, and, and we can struggle with that. You know what? It's hard being second, but I will tell you this. Once you, once you know your place and you're like, okay, he's the leader. I'm going to submit to him. And it's on him if he messes up. <laughs> I'm just called to submit to him and I'll pray for him and I will give him godly counsel, but I will not usurp authority. In this structure right here, you know, God just, man, for, I've never seen a chapter like this talking about seconds, but God here is saying there's important in the structure of the city and I think that we walk away with this. You know, I mean, it's difficult, but you know, what a difference it makes when you have a right-hand man. And a right-hand man is someone you give power to. Why? Because you can trust them. And so, in looking at this, how they gave their lives, number one, how organized they were, and then real quick, the last thing I noticed in looking at this is just the type of leaders and helpers to leaders they were. Notice in verse 6, it mentions valiant men. Notice that, valiant men. The Hebrew word here is usually translated army and is speaking about standing men, exceptional men. It, it means that they showed courage and determination. We're in a war, don't be afraid. God will always provide for you. God will always protect you. Follow him. You know, and then in, in, in verse 14, we see that they were mighty men of valor. And this right here, it has the first Hebrew word, but now it adds gibor to it. And it's just speaking of men who are strong and brave. And they show great courage in the face of danger and especially in battle. And to me, I thought this was cool because it was kind of like the cream of the crop. Because not only do you have people who have left, um, you know, Persia or Babylon to come to you know, Israel, that right there is, is pretty cool. But now, even out of them, you have individuals that would be willing to make that sacrifice to live specifically in Jerusalem. 
And, and here's the thing, and I'll, I'll just ask you this. What's your Jerusalem? What's your Jerusalem? And, and you know, it's talking about where we live. It's talking about how we live. It's talking about the ministry that God's called us to. But you have to settle that with the Lord. I, I, I've been so blessed. I've had some people say, well, we, we can't move because we're called to Almani. And it, it just it blows me away when I hear someone say that. But I've had other people say we have to move because we're called and, and God leads, you see? You know, Nehemiah 11, it might be summed up as a chapter about people willing to live in Jerusalem who can be described in three words. And I'll just say it this like this way, okay? Can I say it this way? Number one, lifers. Can I say that? Lifers. Drafted and volunteers, lifers. Number two, leaders. Leaders. First and second. And then number three, soldiers. And they have that character and they have that courage that I think God wants to use for us in the kingdom of God. You guys know this, and I pray you would know this. You have nothing to be afraid of when you follow the Lord. And you're like, well, what if I get it wrong in following him? Just, are you sincere? I mean, do you really want to follow him? Don't worry about it. He's so cool. He'll close the door. And then he'll open another one. That's Hudson Taylor. That's how it worked for him. <laughs> God is so good. And he gives us all these lessons as we serve him, you know. But, but one last thing, and I want to make sure that I mention this to you real quick. Um, we're talking about Jerusalem, and for me, it's Almani. I'm going to die here, right? But um, there's also another Jerusalem. It's the heavenly Jerusalem, huh? You guys know that the heaven is described as Zion, heavenly Jerusalem? Maybe ask you a question. How many of you want to live there? All right, you all do. For those of you who didn't raise your hand, <laughs> I pray you would know how good it is to live in Jerusalem, but you gotta make sure you choose Christ. You know, one thing that ends up happening when you volunteer, when you have it in your heart to live in Jerusalem, I wanna take you back to verse two and notice what it says right there. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. If you offer yourself willingly, you know, to, to live for the Lord, to, 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 to live in Jerusalem. If that's your heart, I want to go to heaven. I want forgiveness. I want that life. Let me tell you something. Here it talks about the people blessing them, but they're just conduits. God will bless you. God will bless you beyond your wildest imagination as you and I, as we follow the Lord and we have it in our heart. Number one, I want to live in Jerusalem and heaven. This is not my home. I pray for my country. I love my country, but this is not my home. But number two, there's a Jerusalem here that God wants us to be involved in deeply. And as we are, I tell you what, you will be blessed. When you think about the blessings of God, I, I, I want to share with you what this little boy said about, about blessings. First time in an elevator. Do you guys remember the first time you got in an elevator? You, you guys are, are too old to remember that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, there's a little boy, his first time in the elevator, 
And uh, after he came out, he said, I got into this little room and the upstairs came down. <laughs> and I just thought, that's kind of what blessings are, huh, Lord? Now you come down. You came down to, to die for us. You come down to live in our hearts. You come down into our world, Lord, to bless us. But at the same time, one day we're going to go up. We're going to be there forever and ever. Isn't that cool?